Well, good evening, church. I hope you're doing well. Um, I, again, I, I miss you with all of my heart. If, if you can't see now because it's on a screen, but I am preaching to an empty room at Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church, and uh, it breaks my heart. I, I want to see your faces. I want to hear you laugh. Um, I, I want to see you interacting uh, throughout worshiping with song and through the, the preaching of God's word. And so um, I miss you. I love you. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I hope things are going well at your house, and, and I'm glad that you've gathered with us in your homes. And so uh, we're continuing on in our Exiles series. And so turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be in verses 8 through 22. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. Now, uh, as you're gathering in your homes, uh, of course, you, hopefully you have a phone and you can download a Bible app or things of that sort. But if you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, maybe you're, you're joining in on the online service for the first time. Um, welcome. Thank you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, message us on our Facebook page or go to the contact page on our website. And just email us and send us your address and we will mail you a Bible. Um, one of our core values is Bible fluency. We want to know the word of God so that we can know the God who wrote the word. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible, we, we want you to be able to base your life upon God's word. And so we will send you that as a gift from our church. So uh, again, just message us or drop, a, drop an email on our contact page and we'd love to do that. So read with me now in 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. Ah, the beauty of the fact that we're recording is I can now edit all of that out. <laughs> so um, you can just keep it going and I'll, I'll cut it. I totally forgot to do my intro. Um, I'm trying to think. No, it's okay. You can keep it rolling. I can easily just edit that out. Uh, okay, I will not do that again because that totally made me lose my train of thought. Um, I had just told everyone to comment if they need a Bible. See, I stopped for no reason because I'm actually going to do my intro after I've read the passage. Gooberhead. So now, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles, uh, and let's read verse 8. So chapter 3, verse 8. Let's begin reading. And it says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another, and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil, insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." This is a long passage today, and so we're going to read through each section of it and teach through it, and then we'll read the following sections afterwards. And so, right out of the gate, Peter says, 
finally. This means that Peter is now in his closing arguments of what we've been talking about. And and back in chapter 2, verse 12, he wrote, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. Now, he gave us that umbrella of honorable living. And that's what we've been working through the last three weeks is uh, we talked about how that applies submitting to our governing authorities and and how that applies to submitting um, to our employers. And so we kind of looked at a societal way of living an honorable life. And then last week we looked at um, what an honorable life looks like within a marriage and and how uh, that has to do with our, our relationship between husband and wife. And so now we come to the conclusion on the crash course of how to live an honorable life. And he says, finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. The first thing in this passage that is so clear is that as exiles, we must set an example. Right? As exiles, Peter's been talking about how they don't belong in that culture. This isn't our forever home. They've been exiled there through persecution. And what's very clear in this closing uh, paragraph, this closing passage, is that exiles must set an example. So here, Peter explains what what is a general honorable life and what those characteristics would look like. He says, being like-minded. All of you be like-minded, which means um, that you you have a unity. You could even say it's a one-mindedness, that there's only one mind amongst the body of believers, amongst the church, that there is unity together. Because you know that what's amazing is that even in our own church is that we've got people that are mechanics, people that do oil work, people that are in finance, people that are pastors. We've got all kinds of different things. And and, and amongst all of that, some of us have things in common, some of us don't. But what's amazing and what this one-mindedness, this like-mindedness is, is that whatever your hobbies are and your job is, whatever my job is and hobbies are, even if those are polar opposites, what brings us together in unity is that Christ died for our sins. We put our faith in him and the fact that he resurrected from the cross or from the grave for our eternity, for our forgiveness, for our life. And so regardless of all of our differences, we have this one thing that gives us the identity as a child of God, and that is Christ. And so we have a like-mindedness. What I think uh, is also important is he says, have sympathy, which is just being, or be sympathetic, which is to be understanding and, and having a common feeling amongst one another says to have love for one another. Again, not emphasizing um, an emotional romantic thing, but rather a dedication and a commitment to care for and think highly of one another. So he says to be like-minded, to have one mind, to be sympathetic, so to, to understand what others are going through, to love one another and be compassionate. This word compassionate literally means suffer with. And so as we go through life within the context of the church family, we 
amongst ourselves are to be suffering with, meaning that when someone's going through something painful, hard, uh, challenging, a trial, we put that pain on our own shoulders as if it's our own problem and as if it's our own trial. And we pray as if it's our thing that we need to be set free from. And so he's saying, church, to to be one-minded, to be sympathetic, to love one another with commitment, not just emotions, um, and to walk alongside one another. And then last one, and again, this one's the one that hit me most, is to be humble. And in the context of uh, Asia Minor, in the Greco-Roman culture, humility was not a, a, a good thing. Like, they, they wanted honesty, and, and they wanted you to keep your word. There, was, there were some things that they saw as virtuous that we also, as Christians, see as virtuous, but humility was not one of them. They saw humility as thinking, uh, so humility is thinking lowly of yourself and thinking highly of others instead of yourself, right? So that's a good thing. Uh, but in that culture, they did not see it. They saw that as someone who has a low social status, someone who's degraded, and someone who is weak because they couldn't defend their status against somebody else. And so Peter is telling the church to be like-minded, committed to one another, sharing each other's struggles, and refusing to defend your status to them. So it means that as the church, when we come together, and and as as every part of our lives in the church, we don't come here to have any self-preservation or any self-protection. So many fights and arguments come because we think someone's attacking us, and so we attack back. We, We pridefully defend ourselves. And what Peter is saying is that in the church that has no place. He says, be humble, which means that amongst one another we are vulnerable and we refuse to defend ourselves and try and make ourselves look powerful and have status amongst one another because we know that we're children of God. We're all in an equal playing field when it comes to our salvations. And so he says to be humble. That's powerful. You know, how can we apply what that would look like? Let me use the, let me use the cheat application because it's so prevalent right now. Uh, with COVID-19 or the coronavirus, um, our government agencies are calling on us to be like-minded, to have one mindset, right? This thing is dangerous and we've got to stop the spread of it, okay? And then it says to be sympathetic. Even if this doesn't affect me, I care how it affects others, And then it says to love one another, so to be committed to each other's good, wash your hands and do social distancing. (laughs) And then it says to to be compassionate, Uh, so suffering with one another, calling one another, and and, and if someone's scared, then we, we want to walk with them through that fear. And then it says to be humble, which is to not gather in groups that violate the recommended guidelines. Now, what's crazy is that within days... Most of our nation and and large sections of the entire world have heard these recommendations and have responded with fervent dedication that regardless of of what's going on, we want to stop the spread of this virus. So we're going to work together. Now, regardless of how you feel about this whole situation, I know that we've got people on both ends of the spectrum. I have found it personally encouraging to see the vast majority of people trying to rally around the common good of stopping the spread of this virus. 
Could you imagine what it would be like if churches all over the world, if everybody who, who, who claims to love and follow Jesus, when, when they come together, their churches, if every local church made up of, of Holy Spirit-filled believers, if we responded to these commands from God like we've responded to the CDC guidelines, if we passionately pursued unity in our churches, unity to work together to strengthen one another and knowing that we have one goal, which is to see God transform the lives of people, right? So saving those who are non-Christians and bringing them to faith in Christ and strengthening those that are Christians to grow in their faith. And so what if we had one mind and all churches all over the world had that same mindset? to take the gospel to people who need it? What, if, what if, if we were understanding the struggles of our brothers and sisters in our membership? What if we were constantly committed to loving one another and taking each other's suffering as our own suffering and considering them more important than us and never trying to outrank them in status, but rather being humble? That would be powerful. If we as the church could respond to God's word the way we've responded to our government's guidelines for how to stop this spread, oh my gosh, the kingdom of God would just flourish all across the globe. Church, this is our purpose. It's right here in the text. It's right here in God's word. Now, we can't control every church all over the world, but we can, as Outfitter Church, we can determine to be a church that responds obediently to God's commands. And so, as we look at the text, Peter, he calls on these exiled Christians to have that type of love and that, that honorable conduct amongst one another. Again, he's talking specifically uh, within the church, okay? Because if we remember the context of this, they're amongst a society that is not favorable of their faith in Christ. Uh, they're publicly shaming them with their words. They ridicule them and they think lowly of them as Christians. And so, what the church is, is although we don't experience that so much so in, in, in Casper and the Barnon area, what it is true is that within the church, we are to have an alternate society, an alternate family that, that is, is a safe refuge of, of where you don't have to be worried about someone trying to deceive you or to take something from you or to, or to think that you're weak and that you're degrading. It's supposed to be a transparent community that is open and honest with one another and sacrificing uh, their own needs and their own desires for the good of, of every other person within the membership, within the family. And so Peter first starts with what that family is supposed to look like. And now, uh, after he's called on them to live uh, with love and honorable conduct, now he turns our attention outward. And so in verse 9, it says, Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing. Since you were called to this, so that you may inherit a blessing. So we keep a tight-knit family amongst the membership of our church, our church family. And when outsiders are unkind to us, we don't retaliate. We don't, we don't insult. Rather, we bless them, which we talked about a few weeks ago, which that literally, the word to bless someone is to ask a divine blessing upon their life. Now, this goes back to what Peter had just said when he said to be humble. See, 
We are not going to defend ourselves against others. We know who we are in Christ. We know that God loves us and and we don't have to defend our status. Being humble. Okay, now he's saying don't even retaliate. So live out your humility. That when an outsider makes fun of you, shames you, degrades you, is unkind to you, is unjust to you, then what, what that culture would have prized is that if somebody insults you, you insult right back. You, you use your verbal attack to defend your honor. And that's, that's what would have been very prevalent in that society, in that culture. And so Peter is, is saying, like, when you live amongst this culture, there's ways for you to, to live honorable, to live different, uh, and to be godly, even in the midst of a lost and, and pagan culture. And he's saying, don't pay back evil for evil. Don't insult for insult. But on the contrary, when someone on the outside community, uh, uh, someone outside of the family of God, outside of the church, when we have a lost non-Christian community making fun of you, what you are to do is to say, I hope God blesses you. And not to be, sat- or not, not to be um, sarcastic in saying that. But genuinely, church, we we have unity amongst one another. We love one another. We care for one another. We know what we have is the truth, and we want everyone to have it. And so when someone on the outside, uh, because they don't understand our God, they don't understand what what grace and forgiveness of Christ is, uh, when they make fun of you, when they insult you, what we are to do is to respond by saying, I hope that God would bless you. Wow, that's powerful. (laughs) That's deep. That's hard. That's radical love and radical kindness. And there's, there's two anchors in this type of honorable lifestyle, right? He says that since you were called for this, so he says to do this, so to love your enemies and ask God to bless these people who are making fun of you and humiliating you, he tells you to bless them. Ask God to be kind and gracious to them. Why? Since you were called for this and so that you may inherit a blessing. So the first thing is that you were called to this. When Christ saved you, you were called with a purpose. Peter already explained this purpose in in chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are called people. Regardless of the sacrifice that it takes, that we must live honorable lives amongst our non-Christian community because honorable lives give us the ability to point them to God who calls us from darkness to light. And so he's saying, you're called to this. Peter, he says, finally, brothers, let let me just share something with you, church. Here is the word of the Lord. And he calls them to have unity amongst one another and then to have radical kindness and grace to the non-Christian outsiders amongst them. Which takes a lot of hard work, sacrifice, and it takes a lot of eating crow and humble pie. And so when you say, how, how can I do this? Why do I have to do this? You were called to this. 
You were called from darkness to light, and now you are called to proclaim the praises of God who can bring them from darkness to light. Second point is so that you may inherit a blessing. These are the two anchors that, that motivate us to live an honorable life. Okay, so uh, we're called to it, and then it says so that you may inherit a blessing. See here, P- Peter quotes Psalm 34. Uh, so in verses 10 through 12, he's, he's quoting the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Psalm 34 is all about how God provides for the righteous and for those who follow his ways. Read with me in verse 10. It says, For the one who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. First, we are receiving an inheritance because we have been redeemed and adopted into the family of God. And the inheritance is eternity with God, forgiven and delivered from our sin and the sins of others that they've done to us. We're no longer exiles, but we're home. See, these are the the two anchors that that keep us rooted in the living honorable lives amongst the non-Christian community, is that we were called to it and that we're going to inherit a blessing for doing so. If you're watching this tonight and you're not a Christian, a Christian is someone who's turned from their sinful way of life and placed their faith in Christ and devote their life to following Him and His teachings, So if you're watching this tonight, I I just want to say thank you for watching. I'm glad you are. What you just heard is true only for the children of God. Christians are only the ones who are going to receive this inheritance. Now, I don't know what your family life has been like, and I don't know um, what all you've been through, but I know that regardless of what you've done, no matter what shame you have or whatever questions you have for God, God the Father stands ready to adopt and to redeem you through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. He will be with you in this life, and then He will give you a glorious inheritance of freedom and unending joy with being in the presence of God in eternity forever. Uh, My question to you, if you're a non-Christian, you're watching this, what is keeping you from saying yes to accepting this inheritance? What what is keeping you from saying yes to to this calling that God has to come out of darkness and into light? What is keeping you from placing your faith in Christ and following Him? That's my question for you tonight. And as we continue preaching to the Word of God, I really want you to consider that and consider what is holding you back from accepting this adoption, this redemption, this freedom, and this inheritance. As we continue on, we read in verses 13 and 14. And it says, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. (laughs) You got to love Peter. You got to love him, okay? Because um, he just puts it bluntly. And he says, who's going to, hey, look, church, be honorable. Love the, love the non-Christian community around you. And hey, church, 
Well, who's going to be mean to the guy that's doing everything right? But even if someone does, you know, get on to you for doing the right thing, then it's okay. You're supposed to do that. <laughs> so um, I love Peter because he just puts it so blunt. And, 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 and so he says, who's going to harm you if you're doing good things? And even if they do, suck it up and endure. And that's what really jumps out to me about this passage is that exiles must endure. The, the first set of verses that we walk through shows that exiles must be an example to the non-Christian community around them. And then exiles now, as we continue on in verses 13 and 14, exiles must endure. And again, Peter quotes the Old Testament uh, in Isaiah 8, chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 8, sorry, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12, is when he's quoting that, when he says, do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. So he says, Who, who's going to punish you if you're doing good? But even if someone does punish you for living an honorable life, endure. And so he's calling us to endure, and he quotes Isaiah 8, verse 12, and the nation of Israel had been rebellious. God is punishing them, and he tells Isaiah how to avoid getting caught up in the punishment of his people. He says in verse 12, um, do not fear what they fear, or, or do not be terrified. Verse 13, you are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. See, Peter is applying this Old Testament passage um, to the outside community that surrounds these exiled Christians. He's saying that even if non-Christians are going to harm you for no reason, do not fear them. Exiles endure. That's who we are. We're called to this. We must, in, we must endure and we will inherit a blessing. Skip down to verse 17. We're going to come back to 15 and 16, but skip down to verse 17. It says, For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. It says, then, to, then for doing evil. We must endure. We are called to proclaim the praises of God who called us from darkness to light, even if we're unfairly treated, we are still called to be honorable. For it points people to the God that can save them from darkness and adopt them into the family. Exiles must endure. Now, wrapped up in these verses is a little gold nugget that we, we got to go back to, okay? So, um, in verse 14, uh, when we... Sorry. Yeah, in verse 14, when he's calling them to endure, he quotes Isaiah uh, chapter 8, verse 12. Now, in the context of that, again, we already read it. Um, in verse 14, sorry, he quotes Isaiah, and what's awesome is he's telling Isaiah how to avoid punishment and, and tells him not to fear what, uh, what could come upon them, but he says, instead, regard the Lord as holy. And he says, only fear the Lord. Only God should be held in awe. And so he says, don't fear 
and set guard into regard God as holy in your heart. Set him as the only thing that is worth your attention in your heart. So he, he's doing a really awesome application of that passage into today. So he says, don't be fear, don't be afraid, don't be intimidated, but honor God the Lord as holy. And so here in verse 14, Peter says to the about the non-Christian community, he says, don't be afraid of them and don't be intimidated by them. And then verse 15, he says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. So what is incredibly clear in these verses is that now exiles are Leading up to it, exiles must be an example, exiles must endure, and now exiles must evangelize. You say, Pastor, could you use any bigger or outdated of a word to say uh, sharing the gospel? No, I, I don't think so. I think evangelism is probably the oldest and outdated word. Um, but it is a biblical word, right? And so what the heck is evangelism? What does it mean to evangelize somebody? And why does that sound like it's so uh, military-wise and so harsh? Um, the word evangelize, or the word evangelism means proclaim the good news of Christ. Literally, evangelism, if you broke down that word in the original language, means I announce the good news. And so it's proclaiming the good news of Christ. Friends, this is it. This is what Peter's been getting at for the last two chapters. He's, he's been working upon this, this honorable framework, this, this honorable lives. He's, he's been working to help us to see that, right? We're called to live honorable lives because Christ also lived an honorable life. But here is the bread and the butter. When you live an honorable life amongst a non-Christian community, it earns you the right to be asked, why do you live differently? which then gives you an opportunity to announce the good news, to evangelize, okay? Uh, when, when, when you endure suffering faithfully as a Christian, when you live an honorable life, you're awarded the glorious opportunity of telling people why you're living the way you are. So brother and sister, if, if only one person ever were to ask us why we live the way we live and we could lead that one person to Christ, it would have been worth all of the suffering, all of the sacrifices, all of the work we did to try and live an honorable life, to be faithful to God. For this is our calling, to proclaim the praises of God this is why we, we submit to our governing authorities, why we submit to our employers' wives. This is why you submit to your husbands and husbands. This is why you're, you're honoring your wives and your understanding of your wives because all of it earns an honorable way of life that enables your evangelistic work to come with power. Exiles must evangelize. One, because we are called to it. <laughs> We're called to be honorable because our God is honorable. But that honor and that lifestyle earns us the right to tell people about the only way, the only way to be set free from their sins. 
So what, what does evangelism look like? Again, the, the literal definition is I announce the good news. So um, you've already set the example with an honorable life. And so that means that evangelism requires words and that evangelism through this passage is a um, requirement of all Christians. So what must it be? Well, it's whether you're texting, whether you're having a conversation with a friend, whether you share your testimony of, of what, or your story, I say testimony, what that means is your story of what God has done in your life. So whether you're sharing that on social media, whether through a letter, evangelism means that you are sharing with your words verbally or through um, written communication the good news of what Christ has done for them and urging them to turn from their sins and follow Jesus. That's evangelism. You're announcing the fact that Jesus came, he died in their place for their sins, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead, conquering death and providing a way for them to have eternal life with God. So that's the gospel, and that's what evangelism must be, is the verbal or written communication of the good news of Christ, and then urging them to turn and follow. And now we come to our last passage in this text in verse 18. Read with me. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people, were uh, were saved through water. Verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. As we come to our final passage we're rounding third and we're heading for home before I before we, we really dive into uh, what Christ or the main point of this passage um, you just read some stuff that is um, that, that I, I want to use the word confusing uh, just to be honest and transparent with you it says um that Jesus goes, uh, the, Jesus goes and he makes a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Um, and that, that there's eight people in Noah's ark and, and that people were saved through water and baptism is like that. And, 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 and so one, this is one of the most uh, focused and studied scriptures in the, in, in the Bible because people are wanting to know what in the world is this meaning. And, and let me just give you the biggest letdown in the world. That's not what we're going to discuss in this sermon on this evening, okay? Um, but, but, but what I can say is that baptism doesn't save you. Um, he's making a, a comparison. And so when he talks about Noah and the ark and the eight people being saved through water, uh, what he means is that amidst God's judgment on the earth where he flooded the earth and destroyed every person and thing, um, other than these eight people that were on Noah's ark, um, 
He saved them through that, and, and they, were, they were spared their lives by the grace of God through uh, God's water of judgment on, on sin and rebellion that was going on, and so they were saved through water, and he says baptism now corresponds to this, and it now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It's not saying that the act of being baptized is what saves your soul from hell. It's saying that symbolically, when you're being baptized, you are showing that by God's grace, you have passed through um, his sin or his judgment on sin and rebellion and only by God's grace are you saved and that's what baptism is symbolically saying and so again this is a what people will call a controversial and, and in ways confusing passage but we um, we can dive into that on a different sermon for a different evening um, but suffice it to say what we just talked about through that but as we as we close this Section Again, remember, Peter starts this passage with saying, finally, meaning he's rounding third. He's, he's going to finish his argument and his discourse on honorable living. So as we come to our final passage, we see that Christ is our example for endurance and evangelism. Every time Peter challenges the church to grow, to be holy, to make a sacrifice, he, he roots the foundation of that in the person and the work of Christ. And this is no different. He just said, finally, church, have unity, have uh, like-mindedness, uh, be compassionate, be humble, uh, and, and have this great, phenomenal family of God, be tight-knit family, bless the non-Christian community around you, even when they're unkind and unjust to you and dis- degrade you you and disgrace you um, when they ask you for why you're different graciously tell them the good news that Jesus Christ died and resurrected in their place for the forgiveness of their sins we're to be an example we're to endure and we are to evangelize and those friends are heavy requirements that's a heavy calling And Peter comforts us by pointing us back to what Jesus has done for us. So what has he done? Christ is our example for endurance and evangelism. So what has Christ done? Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. Christ died for our sins, righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God. He endured the suffering and the shame of being tortured and crucified. And he did it all without sinning. He did it all without speaking a harsh word to those that were doing it to him. He even said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because Christ endured, you can endure. And it says uh, that it's the, the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ was perfect, and he died for us who are far from perfect. You can't get a better example of that. He is the ultimate example of blessing the non-Christian community when they treat you poorly. He, God, in the flesh, perfect, he died a sinner's death at the hands of those he created to love him because Christ set an example. Friends, church, we can set an example. What else has he done? 
The next verse says that, or the part of that verse says, so that he might bring you to God. So he endures the cross. He sets an example for how to love your enemies. What did he do that for? So that he might bring you to God. That sounds to me like an amazing evangelist. Someone who is proclaiming the good news to you. Right? He left heaven. He suffered. He died. He conquered death. All so that you may have the chance to be made right with God. And so because Christ evangelized, announcing the good news, you can evangelize. Church, what what are we going to do with what we just heard? Well, in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, church, we're making decisions that we think are best. Let's be unified on that. No one alive today has ever pastored through a pandemic. <laughs> right? So let's, let's graciously walk through this together, united, sympathetic to, to each other. Let's love one another, be committed to one another. Let's make the most of what we have. We can't gather, um, but we can all call and text and email and write letters. Don't wait for someone to, to, to show you love and to care for you. you. You go ahead and take the initiative and go love on them. Call them, check on them. Another way I think we can apply this is Let's praise God for being our example. We can oftentimes find it so hard to do the right thing. And then we look at our Savior. He was beaten, he was mocked, and he was brutally murdered. And yet he was sinless in it all. He conquered death, and through him we also are conquerors. We're going to sing here in just a few minutes. And as you sing, I want you to praise God for what he's done and the fact that Christ himself is our example for endurance and for evangelism. And with evangelism, I think in our day and age today, evangelism is one of the hardest spiritual disciplines to have. But as we have seen clearly in this text, church, we must be people who evangelize. We must announce the good news. So I think an application from this passage is, is how can we better announce the good news? How can we use the resources God's given us to share the greatness of God's love with other people and telling them that Christ died for them and they can be made right with God only through that death, burial, and resurrection? And for the non-Christian that has joined us online tonight, thank you. Thank you for exploring Jesus with us. Um, I come back to the question I asked you earlier. What is preventing you from accepting Christ as your Savior? From being free from sin that binds you and holds you back from who you're created to be? What is preventing you from inheriting unending joy in this life and in the life to come after death.
Truly, if you're wrestling with this, I want you to message us. We, this is an open dialogue. I know that you're watching this on a screen, but, but I want you to message us. We want to start a conversation with you. Go to the contact page and email us your questions. But if while I've preached the word, God has opened your heart and you now want to turn and follow Jesus all of your days, I, I want you to pray with me. In your home, where you sit, just pray under your breath or in your mind and declare these truths. And in doing so, what you'd be doing is you're submitting your life to follow and to be faithful to Christ all of your life. And so if you're a non-Christian, you're watching this, and, and while I've preached tonight, God's opened your eyes and you're saying, I want this. What I want you to do is to pray with me. I'm going to pray, and then I'll pause, and I want you to repeat that. And then we'll keep going. God, you are good. And I need you. I want to live an honorable life. I want to be set free. I want to go from darkness into your marvelous light. My sin isn't satisfying. I want you to satisfy. Only you can. So I come to you. I believe that Christ died for my sins and rose from the grave. I want to follow Christ. I want to endure suffering. I want to announce this good news. I give you my life. Forgive my sins. Give me your Holy Spirit. I will follow you all the days of my life. Now, if you prayed that prayer, message us through our Facebook page or go through the contact page on our email and let us know. And we're going we're gonna to get you a Bible and I'll give you a phone call and start helping you take your first steps as a Christian. And if you truly submitted your life to the Lord just now, then welcome to the family. We want to help you. <clears throat> now church, based on what we have just heard from God's word, let us now stand. I know, I get it. In your home. Let's stand. Let's sing loud. Let, let's make your neighbors wonder what's going on in your house, okay? Let's, let's stand, let's sing loud, and let's exalt God and proclaim his praises for what he's done in our lives. Let's praise God through singing. Let me pray for you, and then let's sing. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your calling us to be holy. More than everything, Lord, as we read this passage, we, 
we feel the weight of what it requires to live this life. And we look to you, Jesus, and we say, thank you. Thank you for having endured faithfully. Thank you for having evangelized faithfully. Thank you for setting the example for us so that we can be comforted in knowing that we too can follow you and be faithful to you in all of these things. Help our church, Lord, to respond to your word obediently. And God, may your gospel, may your good news go all across our community, all across our country, and all across the world so that people can be brought from darkness into marvelous light. God, now as we begin to sing, we want to lift you up for you are good and you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, church. Stand and worship God through singing. Amen. Amen.